Good evening, world. This is the podcast Sassafras, and your host, S. Laura Cattell. Alrighty, so, we have closed off Chapter 4, excuse me, which was Methods in Mind Power. And we got so long yesterday, I didn't get the chance to put uh, that whole back section on chanting into proper context. So, I just wanted to add something that I didn't get the chance to yesterday. He only mentions one specific chant, which was Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Right, that's just one chant, okay? You've got Om, the, uh, you've seen it either uh, spelled O-H-M or A-U-M, both produce the same sound. Um, that's very popular. Um, tones, uh, chanting specific tones, A-E-I-O-U, O, and all their different derivatives also has different properties and effects on the physical body because you're creating another vibration. Um, and because you're creating a vibration from within yourself, uh, it's highly effective, affects more things, which is why you see in temples, they're chanting, right, repetitively, because it's the tone, it's the sound thereafter. I didn't get the chance to really extrapolate on that, and I completely missed out on it, and I apologize. Um, so, you don't necessarily have to use that one, although he states... Uh, he's had good experience with that one, so maybe that's the only reason why he chose that, is because it directly relates to the story on Emily that he shared. Um, so, you can go and look up chanting, chants, Buddhist chants, um, oh, what the, Madras? No, not Madras, Mudras? No, Mudras are the hand movements. Anyway. You can go look it up online, and um, you can get some much more in-depth, obviously. This is just a small little subsection with one example that he wanted to highlight. But there's that's just one chant. There's many, many others. You have uh, Japanese traditions, you have Buddhist traditions, you have uh, Taoist, Taoist, Hindu, um, you got, I mean, Tibetan, uh, you got the, Dal uh, the chants the Dalai Lama uses. So many different varieties. Look them up. Um, look up their meanings. Also, by the way, what do the different tones that you are supposedly going to be chanting, what are they supposed to mean? What do they mean? Do they... Sorry. Do they hold any special meaning for you, or does something... Is there one that particularly draws you? Okay. And I also, um, on the flip side of that, drumming. Drumming is an excellent way to get into the meditative state, and it uses a similar process in that it creates a beat, and after um, listening to that beat for a little while, your your um, mental processes will start to link up, and usually it's a decently fast beat, ends up being at about 5 hertz, and that's where your mind power, uh, your um, mind power, frequency? Frequency, yeah, there we go where the frequency of your mind would then rest at, and that's a great space for meditating, visualizing, um, and generally working on your mental capabilities. So I just wanted to add that in there. So today we're going and starting chapter five, how to make a miracle. My goodness. Hold on. Okay, that's better. 
Sorry about that. Alright, so chapter 5 is how to make a miracle. Quite a grandiose statement. Right? Usually miracles are vested within the realm of the divine. We're apparently going to find out how to make one for yourself. So, before we get any farther, obviously my shout out to the restaurant industry that is still suffering all my guys and gals out there in Foodland. I know it's rough, I know it's hard, I don't know what's coming out at the end of this. But I have to have hope that something better is on its way. No matter what's happening, doesn't matter what's happening, you have to believe that something better is on its way. Alright. And I know it sucks, and I know it's horrible, and I know things are happening in the world right now that you didn't think you'd be seeing ever. So, deep breaths, break it down back into little achievable goals, right? Make it through one minute, make it through one hour, make it through one day, make it through one week, make it through one month. However you need to break it down in the smallest increments, break it down. Don't stay there forever. But stay there long enough so that you're not feeling overwhelmed. Because you deserve to be here. And you deserve to be happy. And loved. And fulfilled. And secure enough in your finances that it doesn't cause you a panic attack to go out to eat at simply like McDonald's or Jack in the Box. So... I know it's overwhelming and I know it's non-stop and I'm imploring you to just take a breath and take a step back. Please don't quit. Hold on. And thank you to our medical and first responders for doing all that you do. That I'm reminded of many, many times a day. Don't quit. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I know it seems overwhelming. I know it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel anymore, but don't quit. Don't quit. Alright. So. How to make a miracle. This is the most important chapter in this book. If you take nothing else from what I've written, act on this chapter. Ooh, lofty. Alright. I have spent nearly 25 years of my adult life searching through the spiritual culture, during which time I have worked as a body-mind-spirit publisher, a historian of alternative spirituality, and an individual seeker, sampling and struggling with many of the ideas of self-liberation and self-development on the current spiritual scene, and working with the originators of some of these ideas. This period of time has convinced me of the existence of one deeply powerful force, which can be cultivated as a means of advancing toward a sense of personal completeness, meaning, and self-purpose. We are always using this force, or more often are used by it, for good or ill. 
this force exerts a kind of gravitational pull, sometimes strong enough to flatten or abrogate mountains of circumstance, or erect new mountains, blocking our path to where we think we want to go. This force functions either intimately or on a macro scale, larger scale, as a catalyst for harmony or friction. It can deliver us to circumstances and events that surpass all conventional or natural expectation, which, as I noted earlier, I define as a miracle. What is this overlooked energy? The power of one deeply felt wish. One finely honed, exclusively focused, and passionately felt desire. Something that feels to you like breath itself. Find this, and you will discover a power like none other available to you. This concept initially reached me through the example of one of the most impactful thinkers of the past century, Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> In 1934, Bill was hospitalized and desperate for a solution to his compulsive and self-immolating drive to drink. His longtime friend, <clears throat> excuse me, Ebby Thatcher, hold on a second, sorry about that, all right. Where was I? Ebby Thatcher. Sorry, I had a frog in my throat. Okay, so his longtime friend, Ebby Thatcher, introduced him to the principle that alcoholism requires a spiritual solution. Bill was able to stay sober by embracing the ideas that Ebby brought to him, including principles from the Christian Fellowship of the Oxford Group, psychologist Carl Jung, and philosopher William James. Bill used these ideas and the experience of his own spiritual awakening to lay the basis for the 12 Steps and Alcoholics Anonymous. Yet, tragically, Ebby Thatcher, the man who ignited Bill Wilson's interest in spiritual self-help, soon relapsed into drunkenness. Ebby spent much of his remaining life in a battle with alcohol often ill and destitute. When Ebby died in 1966, he was sober but living as a dependent at a recovery center in upstate New York. Bill regularly sent him checks to keep him going. Not that Bill's legs were always strong. He continually struggled with depression and chain smoking. But he did attain his life's goal. Until he died in 1971, he never drank again. Why did one man remain sober and another relapse? Bill's wife, Lois, in a passage from her memoir, Lois Remembers, described in an understated manner the difference she saw between the two men. In doing so, oh, me, in so doing, Lois illuminated a mystery, maybe even THE mystery, of human nature. 
Oh, goodness. Sorry, I had to sneeze. Alright, <clears throat> so, we're the... An excerpt from Lois's memoirs. And follows. After those first two years, why did Ebby get drunk? It was he who gave Bill the philosophy that kept him sober. So why didn't it keep Ebby sober? He was sincere, I'm sure. Perhaps it was a difference in the degree of wanting sobriety. Bill wanted it with his whole soul. Ebby may have wanted it simply to keep out of trouble. Oh, and there it is right there. That right there is the difference between so many people on this planet. The ones that do and the ones that don't. The ones that succeed and the ones that won't. To put it another way, I don't know I was thinking there, is to be reminded of this now oft-repeated phrase. Let's see if I can bring it to mind. If you really want to go something, you'll find a way. Otherwise, you'll find an excuse. Alright. If you really want something enough, you'll find a way. And if you're just paddling around about it, if you're just dabbling, if you're just looking, if you're just kicking the tires, then you don't really want it. You know what I mean? Do you, want, do you understand the difference? I submit this. It doesn't matter what religion, what political party, doesn't matter what gender, what flavor, what color, what whatever you are in this world. At the end of the day, it comes down to motivation. Some people can take the pain in their lives and use it to drive them to never be like that person. To rise above those circumstances. And others, they let it drown them. And no more is that really emphasized more than this right here. And you've heard these stories all the time, right? Why does one dog walk into a room um, walk into a room and come out happy and another dog come out angry? Same room, different responses. Why? Because the one they walked into a room full of mirrors. The first dog walked in happy and saw um, you know five other dogs smiling back happy. And the other one walked in angry and saw five angry dogs growling at him. Two boys, same same dad, alcoholic dad. One boy looks at his alcoholic dad and says, I will never be like that person. The other boy says, well, he's my dad, so I'm probably going to end up like that person. I cannot stress it enough. Your perspective is what creates your reality. How you expect to interact with the world, how you expect the world to interact with you, drives your decision making. Right? Why go to that bank and not that bank? Why go to that store and but not in that store? Why, when you're in the store, why do you go to that teller and not the other teller? Why do you go for that particular product and not the other product? Your beliefs inform your perspectives. 
which inform every single decision that you make in your life, from the grand to the minuscule. Okay? Cannot be stated enough. And this right here just sums it up so nicely. Bill wanted it with his whole soul. Ebby may have just wanted it simply to keep out of trouble. He didn't care that it didn't that it made him unhealthy. He didn't care that um, he couldn't really function outside of an outside life because of it. He didn't care. It just made the pain go away. He didn't care enough to change his life around. He just wanted to stay out of trouble. And consequently, brings up the age-old adage. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a human to knowledge, but you can't make them think. No matter what your intentions, no matter how pure you think you are, no matter whether or not you think it's in the best interests of that person, if they're not motivated to do so for themselves, you can't fix it for them. No matter how much it hurts to watch, you can't do it for them. They have to want it. They have to want to be on the other side of the pain more than the current comfort level that the pain gives them being in it. As ridiculous as that sounds. We've been over this before, right? We will actually argue ourselves to death to hold on to pain that we've been torturing ourselves with. Hmm? You know you have. You know you have. Such a key right there. So I just wanted to point that out. And I would go on farther. That's exactly what Mitch points out as well. Because he continues, Bill wanted it with his whole soul. That is the key. Within the parameters of physical possibilities, you receive what you want with your whole soul. Whether inner truth, a personal accomplishment, relationships, whatever it is. Excluding some great countervailing force, and for either ill or good. The one thing that you want above all else is what you get. This may beg dispute. People claim that they have not received what they want in life, but we can fool ourselves. Sometimes our memory gets clouded or rearranged during an interval of time, and we emotionally disclaim or forget what we focused on intensively at an earlier stage of life. Okay, so I'm going to go back over this real quick. So, before we go any farther, right, <clears throat> he points it out quite distinctly in this paragraph, but he doesn't make the connection per se, so I'm going to make it for you. What you want with your whole soul. The one thing, excluding some great countervailing force, the one thing you want above all else is what you get. And people don't seem to realize, good or bad, it's what you focus on. So let's go back to this little story here, right? Ebby just wanted to stay out of trouble. 
Bill wanted to get completely clean. He wanted to stop hurting his family. He wanted to stop hurting himself. He wanted to stop getting himself in the hospital. He had a more driving factor. He had a more clear destination. Okay? That's what he says, but we can fool ourselves, alright? What you're seeing around you is in reality what you want. Because that's what you have been obsessed over and focused over. Because that's what you're informing the universe and your subconscious. That's what you're focused on, so that's what you're going to get. Okay? Sometimes our memory gets clouded over, rearranged, and we emotionally disclaim or forget what we focused on intensively at an earlier stage of life. Alright. Um, another really awesome... Uh, I don't want to quote because I'm not exactly sure who I'm quoting because it's been said by quite a few many people. Right, that drug, it's not a gateway drug. Alcohol is not the gateway drug. Uh, um, drug, um, crack, heroin, marijuana is not the gateway drug. Opioids are not the gateway drug. The gateway drug is the trauma and the pain, the loneliness and the depression that causes the person to go use those things in the first place. If you do not address those underlying problems, you're just going to, they're just going to end up replacing one addiction for another. Something, anything to get the pain to stop. Okay. That's why. Because when you're in the midst of, let's say, let's use an, an example here. Hold on a second, I gotta go do something. Oh, goodness, sorry. Allergies. All right. Where was I? Okay, so when we're in the midst of pain, right? All we want, all we're focused on, is making that pain go away. Bill was focused on getting better. He realized that the actions he was taking was causing pain. He was aware enough to know that, and he was searching for a way to stop it. That's why he took Bill's suggestions seriously. But, not to me. Ebby. Why, that's why Bill took Ebby's suggestions seriously, but Ebby, Ebby was still trapped in the, I just want to get rid of the pain. And that's the problem with addicts and mental health and all this other crap that's going on out there, is not enough of it addresses the underlying issues of why the thing happens. Okay. As someone has pointed out on several occasions for something else, but I find it completely applicable in this uh, situation, is if your tub is overflowing, you don't go grab a mop, you turn off the tap. Punishing someone who turns to drugs or alcohol or opioids is simply mopping up the water that spills instead of turning off the tap. Okay. So I just want to go over that real quick. I don't know. Can I make it there? I can't make it there. Alright, so we're going to finish off this page and a half. And we're going to leave off at military strategy as self-help. That's going to be interesting. And we'll come in with that tomorrow. So, things to ponder. Things to ponder. <clears throat>
But that's why he says we can fool ourselves, right? When you are in the midst of something, what you might think is, I want this. But what your reality is, is no, I really want this. Because that's what you're giving yourself and that's what you're getting. If you <clears throat> tell yourself that you want the job, but the reality is you can't stand the people that are there or you can't stand the fact that you have to get up and go to work or you can't stand this, that, or the other thing. Um, what you're really focused on is not wanting the job and wanting to do whatever other activity that is. And so what you'll end up doing is going bouncing from job to job to job because you don't really want the job. You just want the paycheck that it gives you so you can go do the other thing that's much more interesting. When you're in the midst of crisis, you're not con you're not concerned with all the other stuff. You want the pain to stop. Nobody likes pain, right? So I know I'm I'm going back over myself. So I'm just gonna leave it there. Whew. I could go off on that for like the next hour and a half, but I'm just gonna leave it there. Um, some things for you to ponder, right? When you think you're actually wanting one thing. But your actions and habits say another. That's why you need to cultivate awareness of what it is you're doing on a daily basis, how you're moving through life, what you're expecting, what you're not expecting, and start to figure out what beliefs would be empowering versus disempowering. What actions help instead of hurt? What habits can you cultivate that would move you forward, that would cause progression? instead of stagnation or regression and that, all right i'll stop there i'll stop there all right so going back to the book he continues on taking a leaf from goth's faust while ralph waldo emerson in his 1860 essay fate noted this dynamic leading to the popularized adage be careful what you wish for you just might get it and the moral is that what we seek we shall find what we flee from flees from us as goth said what we wish for in youth comes in heaps on us in old age too often cursed with the granting of our prayer and hence the high caution that since we are sure of having what we wish we must beware to ask only for high things be careful what you wish for you just might get it so that being said well not being said that's not how i wanted it to come out but i think you understand what i'm saying so he admonishes you that as you wish for things and then in through the passage of time you have in instructed your subconscious well this is what i want to go for and over the passage of time you probably don't even realize that that's exactly what you've gotten so he admonishes you to be careful what you wish for and to only wish for high things just in case what you wish for does come true. And I would take that one step further in that this is why we have phrases if you don't have something nice to say don't say anything at all or treat other people how you wish to be treated as in the golden rule because when you're wishing atrocity on someone else when you're wishing despair destruction um disability on someone else we've been over this before you're wishing it also for yourself 
because you are creating the vibration with your words, with your emotions, and with your thoughts within you in the exact same moment that you are just declaring that you wish it for someone else. That's not what the universe hears. The universe sees your focus. And because you have declared it, you created that vibrational energy behind it, you have now created a, at some level, a magnetism to it. That's why it's called the Law of Attraction. Okay? So, alright, continuing. Other times, we are simply oblivious to what we want. Telling ourselves internally what we think we should want. Nice family, a good home. But we actually harbor a different wish. One that we sometimes deny or fail to recognize when it presses at the walls of our awareness. Positive mind philosophy places a demand on us. One that we may think we've risen to, but we have never really tried. And that is to come to an understanding of precisely what we want. Oh, and there it is. To come to an understanding of precisely what we want. When we organize our thoughts in a certain way, with a fearless maturity and honesty, we may be surprised to discover our true desires. A person who considers himself spiritual may uncover a deep wish for worldly attainment. Someone who has labored to support the work of others may find that he has deeply unsettled yearnings for his own self-expression. Someone who is very public or extroverted may realize that he really wants to be alone. <clears throat> Recall scientist Dean Radin's story from the previous chapter. His research assistant told him he must first arrive at a vivid picture of what he wanted, which in his case was an experienced neuroscientist willing to analyze non-traditional data for free. And I might add, utilizing a system that he wasn't familiar with so that he wouldn't have to explain himself. Dean refined his focus to the ends. When you begin to identify your natural desires, you begin to distinguish the means from the thing itself. And the thing itself is everything. This process is not a mental exercise alone. In Dean's case, a tremendous degree of effort and background work predicated his abilities of causation and visualization. His actions in all their forms, work, study, effort, enterprise. Hold on a second. Sorry, the truck, garbage truck was going by. Okay, so let's back that up a little. So his actions in all their forms, work, study, effort, enterprise, enlisted other possibilities, including the intellectual, physical, and extra-physical. His active focus was the closing catalyst. You must hone your focus while pushing on the handles of a plow. Thought without labor is like faith without works. Dead. 
So that's interesting that he would point that out. And I'm going to go back over this just a little bit. All right. He nails it on the head. And we've gone over this ad nauseum. We'll continue going over this. I, I always like pointing this out when similarities cross across the different thoughts and beliefs within the new thought movement itself. Okay, so from Rhonda Byrne to Mike Dooley to now Mitch Horowitz. It is the same across the board. Okay, it is the exact same across the board. Come to an understanding of precisely what we want. What is the end result we want? Mike Dooley, focus on the end result. Have a clear image in your mind. Visualize on that. And it will come to pass. Might take a while, but it will come to pass. The issue being, and I have said this again, and I will continue saying it again and again, is that people have a problem really figuring out what it is they truly want and it's not so much that people are incapable of knowing what they want it's that it's their understanding of what they want has been diluted it has been diluted by culture has been diluted by whatever religion they follow whatever politics they follow um whatever they um maybe they want to make their mom and dad happy or maybe they have uh, other peer pressure uh, peoples that they're trying to impress or make feel better, okay? Uh, good example of this are... Uh, how do I want to put this? Not necessarily that I'm trying to pinpoint any particular subgroup, but um, the term tiger parent is common from China. And that is a parent that continually drives their child through really demanding circumstances so that they would come out on the other side, hopefully in a... Um, in a better place and they'll do some pretty extreme stuff but that's what's considered a tiger parent or tiger mom tiger dad however you want to say it instead of what's the child want and that individual will grow up later thinking and or acting and or behaving in a way that would please the parents not their own inclinations all right. No different than, um, let's say, the parent who takes their child through beauty pageants, even when the kid, kid doesn't want to, and they're living vicariously through them, or the kid, or the parents that encourage their kid to become a doctor, or a lawyer, or computer scientist. Right? The tech industry is really huge right now, makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes if they're doing it because they're living vicariously through their kids and they like to see their success and they like to be able to brag about it. Other parents think they're actually doing their kids a favor by ensuring that they're going to have, or they think they're ensuring that their child is going to have enough funds with their chosen profession that they're trying to, um, you know, rush them into um, that will sustain their life and their livelihood and they don't have to necessarily worry about them financially. So you've got those two conflicting things, but again, at the end of the day, those kids will turn into adults that then have a misconstrued understanding of what it is they want, right? Because they've spent so long making mom or dad happy, or the teachers happy, or their bosses happy, or their friends happy, or their spouse happy, without bothering to make, figure out what makes them happy. 
So the search and discovery of trying to figure out what it is you truly want, on the surface it sounds like it's a really easy idea. But at the same time, you've also got the whole problem of keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, look, they've got a 70-inch TV. I want a 70-inch TV. Actually, no, scratch that. I want an 80-inch TV. Right? It sounds stupid, but that's actually how a lot of people operate. Okay? Bob down the street got a boat. Oh, crap. I can't let Bob get away with it. I've got to go get a boat. No! No, you don't. Do you want the extra expense of getting a boat? Do you want the gas? Do you want to weatherize it? Do you want to winterize it? Do you want to make sure that you pay all the fees and whatnot so you can even take it out on the water? Do you have some place to dock it? Okay. There are so many external factors that we let, I'm going to repeat that, we let influence what we think we want. Which is why it is so important to really sit down, look around at your life, and ask yourself honestly, why am I comfortable with this? Is this what I want? Right, case in point, I'll be honest. Right now I can't focus for the life of me. I'm doing my podcast. I was trying to get a business off the ground, but at the same time, it wasn't working and I had to sit down with an honest conversation myself and ask why I really do want to be a mindset and manifestation coach but now is not the right time for me to try and get a business off the ground because I'm also trying to sell my house now if I had the business already going right it's different that it's a whole different ballgame maintaining systems that are already in place rather than trying to create completely new ones protocols and, uh, you know, the whole backstory and content and all that kind of stuff, it's splitting my focus too much. Right? And maybe I need to go back and have a conversation with myself. Why do I want to do this? Why am I going to this? Why am I doing this? Constantly be in that process of self-examination. Do you really want this? And again, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Sometimes you do need to get it to really figure out, oh, well, shit, this isn't what I wanted at all. Is it too late to change my mind? No, it's not. And I would admonish you this one thing if you find yourself in that situation. Figuring out what you don't want is just as vitally important as figuring out what you do want. And even if you're going through a period of something like, all right, you got, you know, what you want or what you said you wanted and you got what you wanted and it's not what you thought it was and you're having uh, reconsideration, you're still getting knowledge from the experience. You're getting knowledge of how these people operate. You're getting knowledge of how this event unfolds. You're getting knowledge about your reaction, your perspectives, your perception, your interactions, your expectations, right? You're still gaining loads and loads of knowledge, even if it's not what you wanted it to be or expected it to be. And I would go back to remind you of Mr. Dooley's um, first job when he got out of college. And it was his dream job. He said it was his dream job. 
but then he was miserable as soon as he got into it. So is the thing that you're doing right now, is it all that it was cracked up to be? Or, um, how do I want to put this? Or are you starting it, it's not what you hoped it would, and you're having second doubts? Maybe you need to do Mr. Dooley's visualization and um, visualize yourself enjoying whatever it is fully. And if that still doesn't work, you know, after a little while, then, you know, it's absolutely completely well within your rights. And, hmm, this, I think I wanted to do something else. Even the going through something that you don't like might inspire you to the path that does show you what you do like. Lots of things to contemplate here. So we're getting into the 40 minute mark. So I am going to get myself a little drink. Um, and then when I'm going to pause it right here, I'm going to go get my drink and then I'll come right back. And then we will do our two minute brain break. Alright, sorry about that. Right, go ahead and do a little wiggle and get in a little stretch. Oh, okay. Go ahead and close your eyes. And let's take a nice, slow, deep breath in. Another nice, slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. And just let your awareness settle into the space. one today, so just enjoy the music in the background, and just breathe, and just show some love, show some gratitude, wherever you're at right now, to start with the simple things, or just today at least, I have a roof over my head. For today, I have eaten, and I have eaten well. I have done the work that I could possibly do. I did it with the best that I could. And that is all I can do. Just for right now, I am grateful I have a soft something to sit on. I have a bed to sleep in. I have employment that allows me and affords me a paycheck so that I can stay afloat. I have access to transportation that carries me farther than I could by walking alone. You can feel free to add in as many as you like. But when you're feeling overwhelmed and helpless 
finding the little things, if only for that day, breeds the gratitude that brings about more positive change. Go ahead now and find more small things to be grateful for in this moment. guys thank you for being here thank you for listening thank you so much for your patience i appreciate you i genuinely genuinely do have a fantastic rest of your evening this is the podcast sassafras good night